Welcome to the Logistics of Logistics, a podcast dedicated to exploring how things get places and the people who get them there. We'll talk with logistics and supply chain leaders about innovation, industry trends, and the future of the logistics business. Now, here's your host, Joe Lynch. Hello, friends. Welcome to the Logistics of Logistics podcast. My name is Joe Lynch. Thank you so much for joining us today. Today's topic is the new world of warehousing with my friend, Matt Fain. How's it going, Matt? It's doing great, Joe. Uh, It's a pleasure being here. I really enjoy listening to your podcast and really look forward to some great conversations. Excellent. Excellent. Well, thank you for listening. I appreciate that. So before we get into the topic today, please uh, introduce yourself and your company, Matt. Yeah, sure thing. So my name is Matt Fain. I'm the co-founder and CEO of Pop Capacity here in Atlanta. Go Braves. Oh, that's right. You guys won the World Series. That's right. It's been a long time coming, 26 years. So, And what did you guys win, like 88 regular season games? Mm, it was from last to first, right? It was a perfect, perfect picture of that. So we're very excited here. I'm actually going to bomb out on Friday and play some hooky and go take my kids to the parade. So... <laughs> I think it's great. It's funny. I was listening to sports radio, and everybody up here in Michigan is thrilled. I think. I think this, this is my own sense of it. When I watch like professional sports, I always think like when New York or LA wins, and nothing against either one of those cities. I always feel like it's it's kind of a non-event, and the reason I feel that way is because they don't they get so much else going on. And when you look at other cities like Detroit, if De- and the granted the Lions could never, but like <laughs> when the Tigers, the Pistons, uh, Red Wings win, man, it's just it's everything. Right? It's exciting. It's we don't, exciting. We, we don't have uh, Hollywood here. We just got regular jobs over here. That's right. <laughs> so happy for Atlanta. Hallelujah. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Really excited. So what we created here at Pop Capacity is the first true digital marketplace for warehousing and fulfillment space. We're leveraging AI, virtual touring data to enhance the way that our shippers and suppliers connect on some really amazing opportunities. You know, given the recent increase in demand and warehousing fulfillment services, we feel really, really confident about our positioning within the market. I mean, honestly, the market's telling us the same thing. Right. Excellent. So when did you guys start? Uh, Let's see. We started April of 20. I joined the team April of 21. And you have a partner? Yes. Yep. Co-founder. Co-founder. Who's that? Our co-founder is Derek Loftus. He was an old colleague of mine at Blue Grace Logistics. Yeah, I talked to Derek the other day. He he said, no, you should talk to Matt on your podcast. I was like, <laughs> all right. He, got, he said, he's a good talker. I was like, you're a pretty good talker. <laughs> he's pretty slick. Uh, we, we, we battled about who was going to be on here. But I, I've listened to you in the past, so I felt it was, it was natural. <laughs> Wait, you tell me Derek's not listening? Jeez, oh, Pete. <laughs> <laughs> you better send him an email. Yeah. Anyway, tell us a little bit about you. Where did you grow up? Where did you go to school? Give us uh, and some career highlights before you started a pop capacity. Yeah, absolutely. So I was actually born in Seoul, South Korea. I was adopted at the age of three months by my amazing parents from Texas. You know, there's a funny story there. So as I'm being picked, packed, and prepped for shipping for the great United States of America, <laughs> my dad received his pink slip. So he was a maintenance mechanic at a can manufacturer in San Antonio. He's freaking out. I just bought this kid. I don't have a job. (laughs) Ultimately, he did find a job in Conyers, Georgia, which is a suburb east of Atlanta, and rerouted my plane to Hartsville-Jackson, and I've, I've been here ever since. Oh, so you got Texan parents and live in Georgia. Yeah, it's funny when I when I talked to you on the phone the other day, and then when we came to do this phone, our squadcast got the video, I was like, oh... Yeah, he's, he's one of those Asian guys got the Southern accent. It is, it's, right. it's more and more common. <laughs> it's a good icebreaker, you know, because nine times out of ten, I talk to you on the phone first, right? And, and I'm not a six-foot man, right? I'm actually vertically challenged. But then when you then when you see me, yeah, it's a good icebreaker, right? It just it changes things a little bit. So That's becoming the American way, I always say. It's funny, when I was young, I always say that I grew up in a city that was just largely white. Um, we had a lot of Arab people where I lived, but, you know, they lived on the other side of town. They had their own thing. Now, I swear to God, everywhere you go, everybody's got this crazy big background, which I always say, that's 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 American. That's America, right? Mutts. That's, that's We're all mutts. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so I grew up in Conyers, which is a small town outside of Atlanta, and your traditional southern upbringing. So a lot of outdoor activities. So I hunted, I fished, camping, hiking, I had a big truck. And then I also did a lot of sports, right? So I played 
Probably every sport there was. Didn't really excel at any of them but swimming. Uh, I was a swimmer in high school at both a state and national level. And I, oh, I like wow. to tell people, yeah, that's where I get my competitive nature from. That's so important for kids that I've, I've had a lot of founders and entrepreneurs and successful people on my podcast. And it seems as if the things that they had growing up, one is very consistent in sports and having jobs. And, right. you know, being able to play sports, you learn to work in a team usually. You learn to grind. You learn after a while you like the grind. And when it's not right. there, you miss it. You're like, I need that coach calling me names and chasing me. That's right. That's right. <laughs> and, and you, you learn, learn to lose, you know? I mean, you learn to fail. Yeah. You learn to win. You learn to lose. And yeah, it sticks with you. I've always said, I'm, I'm the same way. My mom and dad made me play everything. And as a kid, I kind of didn't want to. But as an adult, I'm like, I'm glad they made me. Everyone, once I got into it, I loved it. So I'm glad to hear that. Yep. 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 So, so that means that. that Little girl and little boy, you guys will be signed up for uh, stuff before they know it, right? <laughs> I, I hope so. I hope so. They're, they're, my boy's very, very competitive. He's he's naturally athletic. He was hitting a baseball at, at two or three. Right? He can hit a golf ball. <laughs> he loves sports, anything sports. My, my daughter's the artsy one. She loves art and, and that kind of stuff too. So, yeah. So, give us some career highlights. Yeah. So, you know, it's funny enough, I didn't actually start my career off in supply chain. I started off as an electrician. I came from a blue collar family. I watched my dad work seven days a week, literally until he retired a few weeks ago. And I wanted to immediately get into workforce and start making some money. So my junior year of high school, I took an apprenticeship program with a local uh, electrical union here called the IBEW. So I was going to school half the time, working the other half and doing trade school at night. It was exhausting. Right. But it was something that my dad did, right? So I, I knew if he could do it, I could do it. A few years into pulling wire, bending pipe, I realized that I just didn't necessarily like it anymore and got an opportunity to join a company called Hughes Supply, which is HD Supply now. Oh, yeah. They're part of Home Depot, aren't they? Yeah. Well, they were for like 90 days. Home Depot flipped them and made a c- couple hundred million, but they retained the name of HD Supply. Yeah. And that's like B- B2B stuff, right? Yes. Yeah. Wholesale. I was primarily focused on the wholesale electrical construction equipment. So distribution panels, lighting fixtures, wiring, stuff of that nature. So I started off there. My first gig was counter sales. So, uh, you know, as you walk in a counter and you ask for what widget goes on what part, I was the guy that told you. And then, you know, took the traditional corporate ladders climb, you know, went to inside mm-hmm. sales, eventually landed on outside sales where I was really Really involved in the kind of the industrial OEM market, specifically in the automotive side. A few of my key accounts were like Kia and Hyundai, managing some of their VMI inventory levels and stuff of that nature. But And I, that is when I started falling in love with the art of sales, or it was like I, I like to say the art <laughs> of uh, building a relationship and trust, because ultimately that's what it is. Excellent. So what took you over to uh, the logistics side? I can blame a good the friend of mine. Side. Yeah. <laughs> in 2011, I got a call from a good friend, Dusty King. He had told me about this job he had just gotten in, as a 3PL. I had zero idea what 3PL even meant, right? Mm-hmm. All I knew was logistics, and that was when my stuff didn't show up on time. I knew I could right. blame a logistics company. Right. Right. <laughs> but he told me how big this all industry the, was. Oh, those guys I yell at once a week. I know. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so, sounds like a good job for me. <laughs> So he, he told me about how big this industry was, right? At $700 billion, I think it was at the time. And that they were literally like basically printing money. I like money. And, <laughs> and I was a decent sales guy. So after months of convincing, Dusty and I decided to start a 3PL here in Atlanta called Blue Grace Logistics, franchise based. So we flew down, had dinner with Bobby Harris, came home with a 3PL. Bobby Harris, the president or founder down there? Yeah, yeah. He's a, the, the co or a founder and CEO, I believe. Still. And where are they based at in Blue Grace? Tampa, Florida. I'm supposed to have them on in a couple of weeks, so I'm looking forward to it. They're really, they're really good people, really good people down there, and they've created something super special. They were kind of on the forefront of the digitization in the logistics space, right, with their implementation of like Blue Ship and some other cool tools that they had. So very innovative and a, and a good group of guys down there. Nice. Guys, so guys tell us about your time at Blue Grace. So I spent there. We had some really exciting times, right? We were different. We were a different kind of 3PL, right? We were more relationship driven, less transactional, more relationship. Our motto is we want to keep our customers, right? It was more than just making a dollar. It was about making the dollar, but doing it year over year over year over year. And our margins kept growing too because of that level of trust you were created. Now, with all this success, we did have a lot of failures, too. We quickly learned on certain areas that we didn't do well in. We quickly learned on things that were a waste of time. And it made us better. So 
in 2016. We we grew it from. See, we started off with just me and and my partner Dusty. We added three salespeople, added a couple ox folks, got a nice pretty office, and in 2016 we decided to sell it. It was it was good timing for us. Uh, it was right about the time a large investment came through the Blue Grace organization. So we felt a, from a timing perspective it was a good time to go. So who'd you sell it to? We sold it back to Blue Grace. You know, it was, oh, it was very a, nice. Yeah, it was a buyback deal. So it was it was not quite what I wanted, right? But it was definitely more than I had to start with. So it was a really good opportunity and experience for sure. So are they going? Are they getting rid of agents? Is there are they getting rid of the franchise model? I don't know. I know the franchise model went away, and I think they have some like preferred partners, which are ultimately okay. like agencies. But I think most everything is in house now. I think all the locations okay. they have now are in house. Well, I can ask them when I have them on my podcast. But yeah, yeah, well respected name. And so, what was it after that? So I took a short hiatus. So uh, I sold it, took a break, spent some time with the family, and then started with a California truckload brokerage that was relocating here to Atlanta. So I helped them stand up their facility here in Atlanta. Uh, once again, a great group, great team. They were doing some really amazing things there, but that startup itch was still inside of me, right? <laughs> that, did, that didn't scratch it for me. And that's about the time we started having conversations about pop capacity. Well, actually, no, take that back. I started an expedited courier company here in Atlanta called Go Expedite. Leaning on my experience and my history, right? We, right. we gravitated towards construction, OEM, time critical freight. Business was great, but I have a wife, I have two young kids, and I was away from them all the time, right? Oh, yeah. Were you, were you actually getting in the car and driving them sometimes? <laughs> one time, one or two <laughs> times. It made the trip made the trip a little bit longer, though. <laughs> yeah. So you got rid of that, and then what was next? Yep. So I got rid of that, and honestly, that's when we started having these conversations about pop capacity. So we, we got inundated with you know these requests for on-demand warehousing. And our co-founder... Well, wait a second. Isn't all... all If I need warehousing, that's on demand, right? I want it. What do you mean by on demand? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So warehousing, unfortunately, is not an on-demand type thing, right? Most of the time, it does go into a long-term contract with capacity commitments and stuff like that. The on-demand model really came through with like the where to go and the flexes of the world, kind of trying to utilize shared warehouse space on a temporary basis. Right. So we started getting some of those requests, right? You're, you know, some short term, some long term. And we started getting a lot of them. So I was driving trucks, right? We had a final mile time critical company. We were not in the warehousing business. Well, yet every single week I got a request for crawl stock, transload, warehousing, short term, long term, whatever it may be. I didn't want to tackle it, right? at my time at Blue Grace, like I learned that if you stay within a niche and you stay within a channel, that you can make lots of money because you're the master of that sector of that niche, right? I'm not a master of warehousing. I didn't want to go in and get into the warehousing game. But um, I had a lot of window time on these long road trips, right? I had a lot of time to kind of catch the trends in supply chain logistics. A lot of time listening to some great podcasts like Logistics of Logistics uh, with Joe Lynch. Uh, thank you so much. And that's when I started seeing that it wasn't just me that was getting these requests, from a global standpoint, everybody needed additional warehouse space. And that's kind of where the idea started. Derek, right. our co-founder, was a supply chain consultant. I called him one day and asked, I said, hey, are you, are you getting these same type of requests? And his answer was yes. My next answer was, how are you finding them? How are you finding these warehouses? And his answer was Google. So, <laughs> so, so you saw the opportunity. You both saw this opportunity warehouses want to be found and people are looking for this new model, which is they'll call the on-demand model. In the past, they knew they had to have long-term commitments. And why is it that someone would need like an on-demand as opposed to like a traditional uh, warehousing contract? Well, if you think about like overflow, so every most companies have a season, right? There's seasonality to their business. So certain months they might hold 500 pallets, other months they might, they might have 10,000 pallets. So in order for them to oh, gain okay. some efficiencies and, 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 and gain some revenue back, right? Don't pay for the 200,000 square foot if you're not using the 200,000 square foot right. year round, right? Pay for your 50,000, pay for your 60,000. And when you use your 200,000, that's when you pay for it. So that model got introduced and there were some, some really good positive results out of it, right? Now all of a sudden you started seeing multiple different enterprises that needed this overflow that were committing these long terms and long capacity commitments say, hey, I don't need 200,000 year round or on a three-year contract. 
Let me tap right. into this on-demand market and right. see what I can do. So what is it, what problem does pop capacity solve for the market? Well, I mean, we're the first true frictionless digital marketplace. So much like an Airbnb, and I don't really like using that term, but it's relatable. Right. People know what it is. <laughs> right, right. So we're the first marketplace where you can go in, enter a scope of work, process that through the marketplace, and the outcome be the appropriate 3PL. So, for example, if you're a food-grade fulfillment-type customer looking for space in Atlanta— you don't need to enter a hazmat house. You don't need to go into a, a, a facility right. that only focuses on B2B. But unfortunately, by leveraging Google or some of the other solutions that are in the market, you may find that person. And ultimately, it's a waste of time. So so you're kind of the better Google. And, and, and Google, Google isn't logistics guy. So they say a warehouse is a warehouse is a warehouse unless uh, you have keywords that say something else, right? right. <laughs> where, right. where you guys would say there's a difference between traditional warehousing and on demand. There's a difference between temperature controlled and frozen and standard, right? That's right. So you that's know right. all those things. And that's so you guys connect the people who need warehouse space with warehousing companies. So yep. who's your customer? Both? It's both. Yeah. Yeah. So we have subscribers on both sides. We have our supply, which is what we've been really heavily focused on, right? The build it. If you, if you build it, they will come model. So we built out a really dynamic network of 3PLs. Like I'll, I will say the best and the best network. When you say 3PLs, you mean warehousing three. 3PL warehousing. Correct. Correct. And not, they're, they're not only 3PLs. We do have yeah, some what we consider off market capacity, which are just warehouse owners or, or trophy shops that have some excess warehouse space. Right. We do have that in the marketplace. But traditionally, they are 3PO warehouses. It's it's an interesting space because, you know, there's overlap with consumer, of course, always. As soon as you say warehouse, somebody says, oh, I want to put my Corvette there in the winter, you know. And you're <laughs> like, no, 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 that's not the on-demand I'm talking about, right? There's a, And there's there's also so many different kinds. And again, I've, I've said this before on my podcast, we're on a spectrum where there's, there's guys who are, you know, the uh, high-tech, we spent a ton of money and we're world-class world-class productivity and then there's a guy who owns this warehouse who doesn't have a wms and typically we're all going to sway towards i want tech but let's face it these guys are serving somebody right and maybe sure. somebody says ah you know what the old guy is good i don't care i've been working with him for years i, I get what i need i don't care <laughs> right? right and if somebody else is going to say if you don't have that tech to hook up to my system i'm not even going to talk to you absolutely Absolutely. And look, I want to identify all of them, right? We want to identify the really tech-savvy smart warehouses as well as the traditional There's warehouses. There's somebody okay. for everybody. There's somebody for everybody. Amen. You guys are Cupid. You're you're the matchmaker. That's right. <laughs> we're, we're, we're adding visibility to the mix, right? We're just really adding that visibility so that when you are engaged with a 3PO or if you're reviewing a shipper opportunity, that you know exactly what you're looking into. Right. So when we were prepping for, we had talked the other day on the phone and then we talked today and we were talking about just how much has changed in warehousing. And initially we're, I was going to call this podcast, we were going to call this podcast, the warehousing revolution. And I was like, Oh, that sounds a little, little, little cheesy. <laughs> like, And um, I just did a, a podcast called the warehousing crisis. And I was like, I don't know, is that overdoing it? But it, it, there is a crisis. We're short of heads, right? We'll talk about that short in a minute. Of everything. So, there really is like a revolution going on. And we're, again, today's topic, the new world of warehousing with Matt Fain. And so I want, we talked about like seven things. I swear to God, we could have just kept going. We could have listed 10 more. <laughs> and so I think these are the top seven things I wanted to talk to you about. It's just changing so quickly. So, and again, the warehousing 20 years ago was kind of this slow moving, I'm not wrong, wrong way to say it. We ignored it. We didn't pay close attention. It wasn't a sexy business. It wasn't a tech business. Yep. Now it's just all of a sudden flipped and it's all changing. So talk about the first thing that's out there that we, we talked about when we are prepping. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I think the big change, the massive change that we've seen is this shift from traditional distribution modeling to nano fulfillment or micro fulfillment, right? So traditional distribution consists of two or three distribution centers, strategically placed within the United States. Now those same distribution centers are going to be servicing 10 to 15 different nano-fulfillment sites. And those nano-fulfillment sites are going to hold and stock certain key SKUs that are in that local market, right? The reality is, is the customer expectation and the, the way that customers buying habits change, change the way we have to distribute product. 
which means we have to change the footprint. So we're going to have smaller warehouses closer to the customer that we've heard that over and over again. Now, you said that we'll have massive warehouses that supports those. We might not even have those massive warehouses. It could just they go might right, from, right to could. the small one. Yep. And so, so we're going to have... We're going to have smaller, and they're going to be able to support same day, next day. So I think also that change, you know, for a long time, we would talk about this idea that, hey, if you wanted, where do, where do I put my warehouse? And when somebody said, where do I put my warehouse? It was somewhere in Indiana <laughs> because <laughs> it was one day truck, one day ground to 65% of the population, and then two days to a certain amount. And you said, that's good enough, Right. We don't talk like that anymore. Now it's Indiana's great, still great, but I might also need Reno or Texas or California, you know, somewhere that supports the whole country because okay. the same day next day has become so important. And and that doesn't even support that doesn't support grocery and which is because we'll get into that in just a minute, which is becoming a whole nother market for warehousing and fulfillment. So so the first thing, big one, is nano fulfillment. We're gonna have smaller facilities closer to population centers. And I think it's interesting when Amazon first got into the, to building warehouses, they built massive, like I, I don't know what they were, million square foot or whatever, yeah. millions of square feet. And I think they probably have busting at the seams now with those anyway, but I don't think you'll see them doing that again. I think you'll see them, you know, and again, it was such a shock. You're like, why is a tech company building buildings like yes. this, <laughs> right? But it's, it seems to work out all right for that guy. And it kind of <laughs> seems like they're still doing it, right? So as much real estate is being developed, they're scooping up and buying it just as fast as they can, whether right. it be these these smart, automated, you know, fulfillment-type warehouses. But, you know, I, I think we'll see, like you said, smaller footprint and more locations to service that same-day need. There's just right. no way, unless you air freight stuff, that you can get it same day to the consumer. Yeah, I got to tell you something. Got when I grew was I grew up in Dearborn, Michigan, right outside Detroit. So we had a mall, Fairlane Mall. It opened when I was like sixteen, and it was I swear to God, it was like Disney opened at my in my neighborhood. <laughs> I mean, I got my license. Me and my friends would walk around the mall. We'd get those giant chocolate chip cookies and wander around, buy one record. <laughs> yeah, there was records then. It, it wasn't a cool thing. It was the only thing. So that mall is dated and old now. And one of the things I understand is this is going on. And by the way, that was the most popular mall in America for a long time because it was right by Detroit. Detroit didn't have its own mall. So that place was packed. It had movie theaters and an ice rink. It had people mover to the Hyatt Regency. It was like going to the moon. I mean, it was such a cool place. But now it's old, like me. I guess I'm getting old. So <laughs> the, uh, <laughs> the when the mall you grew up in is is is, is old, but... You know you're getting old, but what one of the things that's happening to these old malls across the country is fulfillment centers are popping up because what that mall is is close to all the expressways, it's close to all the population, so right. it's also wired for wired for everything you should ever want. It's already got the kind of the, the infrastructure there, the wiring, the water, the roads, close to the airport, everything is there. Yep. And so yep. it makes sense. We'll we'll start to see Amazon take over more of those and other fulfillment companies take over that area. Say, we don't need a mall anymore. We need more fulfillment. That's right. Yeah. You know, it's funny because we're working with a few different strategic partners that that is their MO, right? They've taken these old, smaller leases in, within malls and, and they're repurposing them into little mini fulfillment centers. <laughs> right. Right. It's pretty ingenious. Yeah, it's funny because there's they had Saks Fifth Avenue was in in that building for a long time and that mall cool store I don't even know if they still exist now Ford Motor Company has an engineering center there you're like really <laughs> <laughs> it's right in Ford's backyard so Ford probably owns the land and so it's like what is going on there but anyway so that was the first thing we want to talk about the second thing we want to talk about is the labor problem and that I did a whole podcast on this this topic with Chuck uh, Coxhead but um, talk about the labor crisis. Yeah. So, I mean, it's not getting any better, right? I think with, I mean, the reality is, is, is no one wants to go in and be a warehouseman, right? There's so many different jobs that you can do, right. so many different jobs that you can work remote in. I mean, warehousing, trucking, those are, while everybody's saying, hey, I love working from home, those, that's the industry that says I can't work from home, right. but yet they're keeping the world alive, right? So I think we're going to see that it's going to be challenging to find the kind of people to do the kind of work, especially with the demand, 
that is there, right? They're literally, you're hired and you're getting put into a fire. They're saying, right. okay, go. We've got more product than we have, than we've ever had to distribute. And we need you to learn fast. Right. Supply chain is complex, right. especially if you're going into a 3PO environment where you have 15 different customers with 15 different SOPs. Good luck retraining the guy on all, all those SOPs. Right. We all know this. We need to do a better job of treating truck drivers right, right? We can't keep wasting their time. We can't make this job any harder than it needs to be. You're already away from your family. You're already on the road, stuck in traffic, professionally stuck in traffic sometimes, right? That's, we've made that, that's a, we all know. And we made, I think we've seen some strides, but we still got a lot of ground to catch up here. We need to also shift our focus a little bit. No, I shouldn't say shift our focus. We also need to focus on the people who work in warehouses. It's not an easy job. You can walk five, 10 miles a day and, and you're lifting boxes, potentially putting stuff on shelves. It's, it's a matter of time before you're going to end up with back problems, shoulder problems, knee problems. So we have to do a better job of making those jobs better, which I think, oh, by the way, one of the things I learned from talking to Chuck Cox about this was a lot of these guys who are professional warehouse workers, they are on incentive pay. So they make this much, <laughs> this much if they uh, just do the regular job, but they get incentive that can be more than 50% of their pay. So getting the right guys and getting them trained is super important. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Empowering them to their outcome to be what they put into it, right? Right. And I think really we finding those people can be made easier by allowing the 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 operations to be a little bit easier, like the task itself, right? Through automation, through yeah. robotics. That brings us to the third point, which was use tech. And and if you can make that a job that's about entry level supply chain, that's cool. If you treat me like I'm just a strong back, I'm gonna move on, right? Exactly. But if you say, dude, we're gonna wire you up. You're gonna have you're gonna have the hands free. I guess apparently you can scan. Oh yeah. With, a scan glove pick technology. Yep. yep. So you got a glove and you're wearing that glove and then you scan things. It's like being a superhero at that point. That's what Chuck <laughs> calls it. You, they have the vision things. Everything's run by the phone as opposed to a piece of paper. And by the way, we're going to get to a place really quickly where you realize this warehouse's output is so much significantly better than the other warehouses because they have invested in technology. We've learned <laughs> over the last generation that investments in technology pay off. So, I think it's important, first off, to make that job easier, but part of that is using technology because it, you can make a job that is a, a grunt job that nobody wants, but put tech there and you go, hey, there seem, seems like I got on the ladder to you know, supply chain career. That's right. That's right. Well, you feel excited because you're a part of something, you know, this digital movement in supply chain. I mean, it's been happening, right. but it was accelerated in a pandemic. So now you get to be a part of a larger initiative, something that hasn't right. happened in the industry for a long time. Also, and, and when somebody says, "Hey, come on in, you're going to use this technology, you're going to you're going to be on the cutting edge of this," that, that feels like a pretty good job. You're being trained. If I just trained you, if I've spent a lot of money on the technology you're walking around in all day, I'm going to want to keep you. It just there's this virtuous cycle of investment in your people and your operations. And yep. I recognize not everybody's uh, interested in technology that way, but I feel like we're getting to a place where you either use it or you're out. <laughs> right. Right. And I think we'll see that. I think we'll see traditional warehouses who don't want to adopt. They'll either sell their business right. or they'll go out of business. One of the two. Right. It, you either use the tech. It, again, I say it all the time in the transportation side of, the, of our business. You're, there are haves and have-nots. If you don't have the right tech, you are slowly losing ground, maybe quickly some days. Yep. So we talked, sure. about, talked about nano-fulfillment or that micro-fulfillment, and we talked about, number two, the labor crisis. Very closely related to that is the investment in productivity and technology that we absolutely have to do. And again, these are all things, the new world of warehousing. So the next thing we talked about was uh, these new business models, and you kind of alluded to them earlier. So talk a little bit about that and how that's changing things. Yeah, so the tech-enabled 4PLs, like your, your where-to-goes, your flexes, your flow spaces of the world, they really did a good job at kind of surfacing an industry that, like you said before, was put on the back burner, right? right? No one knew. Every single person's product sat in a warehouse at some point in time, but you didn't know it until you couldn't get it, right? So those tech-enabled 4PLs did a really good job at creating a network 
and then overlaying some technology to help connect that network. But they also allowed us to see that there were some areas, other areas of opportunity, right? Not always did you have to have a warehouse management system. Not always did you need multiple facilities to be connected. Oftentimes, you just needed one location and one facility. Right. <clears throat> so we've seen them come through and create this new way of distributing product. But I think we're going to continue to see different iterations of the solution come there's out. No, there's no one right answer, but I know we talked about um, Flex. I had uh, Dave Glick on my podcast. I'm on that He's the yeah. CTO over there. I had Steve Denton, who was fantastic, on uh, my podcast to talk about where to go. Not that Dave wasn't fantastic. He was too. He was former Amazon VP. Yep. And then um, I had Sean from Storadon. And these are all very interesting business models because when we talk about this nano fulfillment, I might need 10 locations, well, probably two or three locations. What they've done is they've kind of, they, their network has all of these different warehouses in their network. And they're connected through technology typically. So in a lot of ways, it's, it's, giving us the it's giving the local warehousing guys the ability to work with national customers and it's sure. giving these national customers the ability to say hey I can use one system regardless of warehouses and uh, that's a fantastic opportunity and you know it's interesting 3PL Central was on my podcast the CEO I forgot his name now and they they have a whole bunch of people who use their system too yep. and I think they're kind of have that same mindset as could we connect all of these 3PLs that use 3PL Central and uh, yeah, it's brand new business models that we didn't see. And I think I've, I've learned along the way, I think most warehousing companies have one location, which means that they're at a disadvantage to get that national business that has to be nationwide. Yeah, it can be challenging, right? Well, I think one thing that we've seen in the market since it's grown so much is that initially larger enterprises, larger shippers, um, we're going to the tech enable 4PLs for capacity. Right, not necessarily for that warehouse management system, but it was it was to tap into that network of capacity that was very very much needed at that time. The larger the enterprise, the more customized their ERPs are, the more customized their systems are. So integrations are going to be very important moving forward. There, this is where we started seeing kind of a little bit of where there was a gap. Large enterprises don't always need that tech. Sometimes they just need capacity, and sometimes these three POs have technology that is already integrated into existing systems, right? Our objective was to find them and identify them. This is such a big space. I mean, and I think one of the things that we talked a little bit about when we are prepping is this idea of having a niche or niche, whatever you want to call it, yep. is there could be somebody who says, we're an automotive, automotive focused warehousing business and that's who we serve. It may be at aftermarket or uh, production and they're going to they're going to bend their they're going to bend their service offering around automotive. Others are going to say we do e-commerce fulfillment. There's just so much so much difference in this business. And again, we're going to start seeing companies that focus just on groceries. We'll get to that in just a second, but that was number 4 was this whole idea of this just new business models. It seemed like a sleepy old business and then all of a sudden overnight, boom, companies like yourself and Flex and where to go stored just blew up. And uh Great companies, each one. And I'm, by the way, I'm, I'll put a link to those companies in my podcast uh, in the show notes because uh, those are all great, great companies to learn about. So number five was just in time. So talk a little bit about that. Well, and, and, and you can speak to a lot about that too, Joe, coming from the automotive industry there. But, you know, just in time modeling, right, is having the right levels of inventory at the right time, right? Usually resulting in smaller amount of inventory and having it on a really tight schedule. So during the pandemic, when we see all these bottlenecks and, and, and ships stuck off the, the coast of Long Beach there, that's where your products live. And it's not feeding those lines that you needed now. Right. So it's creating some issues. So I think we're going to see just in time transition to just in case, right? which is going to equate to more warehouse space needed for more products. And, that, and, it's, and it's happening, right? And it's starting in the PPE medical field, right? I think we're, we've got, you know, 200,000 square foot of PPE that, is just for overflow, just for the right. just in case type model. I've talked about not lately, but I talked about PPE. My daughter is a purchasing or procurement person. She said she worked with distributors, and she said what she learned during the pandemic was a lot of the PPE was made in Wuhan, China. <laughs> she said not the best, not the best place to have to get product from at that point, and. 
you know, it, we all thought there's a strategic reserve of this kind of stuff that we all, oh, I guess not. <laughs> it seems to me that what we're, if there's one thing we learned from coronavirus, it is we need to be a little more strategic about certain things. So I think we'll see some stuff move back. We're going to see nearshoring near for sure. We've had for a number sure. of people talk about that, but that's not going to happen overnight. So in the meantime, companies might say, you know, if, if we're going to have a bumpy supply chain, I'm going to carry a little more just in case. You have to. You know, it's it's one of those things where you say the worst thing you can do is have excess inventory that goes to waste and then you go, unless I need it, then it's not excess. Right? <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, that's right. It, that's the awful thing about inventory. You know, you, you say, just to be safe, we want to have that. Oh, that costs you a million dollars a year. Oh, God. <laughs> right, right. There's a financial impact there too that you got to consider um, as a business owner for sure. But yeah, I definitely think that in this day and time, it doesn't matter what that financial impact is. We're not going to have a stock out right. anymore. I would say also, there's a that's a, obviously a podcast that we could do all by itself is this idea of SKUs. So I think what we've learned also is more SKUs isn't always better. So, you know, if you have most of, let's say, if you, 100 SKUs, but the top 20 are 80, 90% of your profit, might have to take a look and say, how do I reduce the SKUs? We all love the idea of options, but sometimes it may be companies are going to be better off saying we don't offer. And you know, right. there's a lot of very good businesses, Costco, Aldi, Trader Joe's, these guys have fewer SKUs and they do just fine. Yep. And you know, it's funny when you wander down the, uh, the pickle aisle and you go, oh, I'm glad I have 80 choices. Do I really need that many? That's right. <laughs> and I think also you're going to find companies like we see more and more of their private brands. Mm. You could see at some point when you go over to Costco and they say, hey, you can buy our kind of our Kirkland wine, which you might have laughed at not too long ago. And you're like, hey, they figured it out. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> it might not look fancy when I break out the the box of Kirkland wine, but it tastes fine. It put tastes it fine into, and does the trick. decanter. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's right. Exactly. And I think we'll also see from a SKU standpoint that people are going to be smarter about where they're placing their SKUs. Right. Right. It's okay to have 200 SKUs, but all 200 don't need to be in the same area and market every single right, time. Right. It's not cookie cutter. By the way, when I was talking with Steve Denton from Where to Go, he's the CEO over there. I said something about inventory and he said, Oh, we'll tell you where your inventory needs to be. And he said, you don't want to do that. And he talked about fencing it. He talked a little, and, and I was thinking that's, that's really valuable because if you're a growing company and you say, Oh, I'm going to put a, a lot of inventory here in Chicago and I'm going to put a, a whole bunch over here in Texas. And maybe I got maybe one other location and maybe he says, Hey, look, we'll help you figure that out. That's important. That, For that sure. you talked about the four PL element. That's the, that's, that's what you want. You want somebody who says, hey, son, let me show you the way. We, we got the technology that's going to tell you where your inventory needs to go. Yep. That's, that's the partner you need. That's right. That's right. And then we're doing a lot of that here, right? Optimization studies and, and that, that kind of analytics yep. and reviewing that data is super important. You're earning your money. You have to. Good deal. So we talked about nano-fulfillment, micro-fulfillment. That's, again, getting closer closer to the population center. We talked about the labor crisis, which is very close related. Number three, which is we got to invest in productivity tools and technology to make that a better job and, and be more successful. And then we talked about the, all these new business models. We talked about just in time. That brings us to five. And I know we had a few more we wanted to talk about. So the next one is the idea of sustainability. Talk a little bit about that one. It's super important. I think every traditionally warehouses didn't think about sustainability. The industry itself didn't think about right. sustainability until now, right? Now we're tracking CO2 Brands emissions. Brands are asking us. <laughs> That's right. That's right. So um, we're seeing our warehousing being just more efficient with their packaging, more efficient with their routing, and even going all the way inside of how are you routing and pick and packing your packages in a very efficient manner, right? right? And then reducing that footprint, like you said, right? You don't need that 200,000 square foot with, uh, you know, 60 uh, warehousemen in there. You can accomplish right. the same thing by having better productivity and technology in your right. warehouse and reducing that footprint to allow, you know, a, a smaller emission, if you would. So I think it's something that's is starting small, but starting to gain a lot of traction. Right. So there was a recent study. Um, I think Ben Gordon shared it. So anything Ben Gordon shares, he's from Cambridge <laughs> Capital. It's like, you it's better gold. read it. He knows what That's he's right. talking about. And he posted, uh, I think it was Boston 
Boston Group, a consulting company, posted about, I think it's 80% of emissions are from the supply chain. I read that, yep. And, and it's going to cost like $100 trillion to get us to net zero. And again, that's not going to happen overnight. And I know there's some people going, oh, that's that's all bull, Joe. Don't talk to me about that. But it doesn't matter whether you believe the climate's changing. It is changing. Whether you believe it's man-made or not, who cares? We have consumers who are making purchasing decisions based on that. We have brands asking for it. And not just one or two. It's not a trickle anymore. Now it's starting to be on virtually everybody's radar. Yep. So it's just a matter of time before people say, hey, tell me about your sustainability, whether you're a broker or a trucking company, warehouse, it doesn't matter. We're going to have to get better at this. And boy, sure. when, if you're doing e-commerce fulfillment with 30% returns, that that is a big waste. Yes. And and over-wrapping of products, I, I think we've gotten much better at that. Every once in a while you get like a, you know, I got socks and underwear and a sweater <laughs> and it comes in this giant box and you're like, really? Yeah. And then you feel guilty throwing that box out. You're like, I got to save it. It's gotta, this got to stay in the garage and basement <laughs> for six years. <laughs> I usually let my kids play with them. They can make airplanes right. or cars or whatever they want to out of it. But we are doing a better job on the packaging and I think we have to do, we're going to get better at returns. And yes. I think it starts with the brand saying, we're going to give you some... Uh, Size guides. I know it's way worse for ladies than it is for fellas, but it is ridiculous sometimes when I order. I don't order shoes online anymore because they don't do a good job on the sizing. Yep. And, and it's because I've always worn the same size, so I order that stupidly. Right. <laughs> yeah, you didn't know Nikes ran small and Adidas run big, right? Right. <laughs> We've got to stop that. You know, when you think about it, how hard is it to have a say, hey, print out this piece of paper and stand on it. Oh, you're size 10. Oh, good. How hard is that? That, that? that sounds very simple. You might be onto something, Joe. <laughs> so this few times on my podcast, my mother watches the Home Shopping Network. Doesn't buy much on there, but she says it's a good, they do a great job on sizing. That's what she always says. She hmm. said, so I watched it. I was staying at her house, and they got uh, models walking saying, I'm five foot, five foot six and 140 pounds, and this size fits me perfectly. We are going to have to do that good a job because it's a lot easier to get the sizing right than have bracketing, which is I bought, I got a size six, I got a size five and a size four, <laughs> and I'm trying them all on and I'm going to send two of them back. And I yep. guarantee there's a lot of people listening go, that's what I do. <laughs> that, that, that's exactly what I do too, just FYI. And you know, a funny thing, I was buying a shirt on Amazon last night. And there was a really cool feature on there. It didn't work, but it, it would have been really cool. But it takes a picture of your body. You set your phone down right. and it and it scans your body and tells you right. what size you are. So it's, 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 it's knocking on the doorstep, right? I bought shirts and pants that way through uh, that app where they make, uh, I forgot what it is. So I'm sorry, guys, I forgot your name, but you put your phone down on the ground and then you get in the, you stand there <laughs> like, like you're it going was strange. But yeah, you stand there and that tells you what size you are. But we have to get to that. And that the sizing is a big part, packaging is a big part. But we have still so many empty miles in our business. We have to do a better job on the routing. You yep. know, also this stuff, a lot of this is delivered via gig economy. We're going to have to do better. I think we're going to get professional logistics companies entering the space and say, we're going to get these routes really done really well. We're going to have electric vehicles doing those final miles. Yep. Won't be good for the line haul. That's right. <laughs> That's right. Well, and speaking of the routes, I don't think routes exist right now, right? Some of your heavy volume fulfillment right. companies doing D2C are mapping out routes. Right. But if you're, if you're a small merchant selling, you know, less than, right. you know, a hundred items a week, Good chance that John Doe's getting their stuff in, in north of Atlanta and Jane Smith's getting her stuff at south Atlanta on the same truck, knowing that there's product flow going both directions. So right. we will get smarter about it. And there's some technologies out there that are doing routing optimization, both from a trucking and transportation side, as well as a picking and packaging side and inside of the house. So right. it's there. But like you said, it's not going to happen overnight. You know, I think right. we we all got taken by storm when when the pandemic hit. Like right. supply chain people and people who are keeping up with the industry understood that this stuff is happening and we need to keep an eye on it. But then it hit us over top of the head and said, okay, well, we're here right. and this is what you need to do. Well, and again, we're, we're going to get better from it for sure. sure so, for sure. you know, I, I was working on my ancestry and I, I have my, I noticed my grandmother had lost a sister in the last pandemic, what, 1920 or what, 1921 or whatever it was, the Spanish flu. 
And I was thinking, they said those people died because they didn't have like simple antibiotics. Right. They said, and I was like, well, we did a lot better now. I mean, the, most of us, fortunately, just said, hey, I hope I don't gain too much weight while I'm sitting around the house <laughs> eating, eating and watching TV while my gym's closed. So the last one I want to talk about is the customer experience and, and, and really more who owns the customer. And I think I think the, the way this came about is we've seen cool apps pop up, like and apps, companies like Shipped or Instacart, DoorDash and all these, and and they are delivering food. And then at some point, I know this is already going on, they say, hey, we'll deliver food. And doesn't necessarily, and some restaurants are closing and say, we just, we're just a kitchen, right? And mm-hmm. some retailers, you could see before long, I buy and shipped. You could see before too long, they say, hey, Joe, you don't need to buy from Target or CVS or uh, Meyer. You could buy from blank. And it might be their business. And they own that customer. So we're starting to see logistics companies 3PLs, warehousing companies wade into that because these companies are billion-dollar companies. If you're Kroger, if you're Meyer, your Walmart, Walmart's not a, probably a good example, but these companies aren't going to let you take their customer. Wrong way to say it. They want to own the customer experience, and I think that's that's going to become increasingly important. So Nike doesn't work with Amazon. I don't know what their disputes are, but I suspect part of the reason is they say we want to direct customer experience with Matt and with Joe. That's right. That's right. And I think that's going to continue to happen. And it's super important that, you know, it's the convenience factor. Like we're all playing the convenience of buying through that said marketplace, not buying right. directly from the Meyer or, right. or the Walmarts, right? Going through this marketplace and have it delivered to our house. And and you had mentioned something earlier, right? There was an acquisition that was made that is allowing some of these big box companies to then take that infrastructure in-house and start gaining that customer experience right. back, right? And it's, it's interesting. I saw Bed Bath & Beyond and Kroger have some sort of joint venture, and I think it'll be online initially. But Bed Bath & Beyond is, competes with Amazon. And I guess Kroger is saying, hey, we don't have, we don't have anything that's non-food, right? So, and they're both competing against Target. And so it is an interesting, and, and Meyer and some others, but I think that is impacting warehouses because I could see a time right now when I, I use Shipped and I love it, right? So Shipped goes and buys my groceries. Person, a personal shopper goes to Meyer, goes down their aisles, picks stuff up, puts it in a, checks it out, brings it to me, right? That's not the most efficient way. So if Meyer said, hey, if you're going to do that, we'll open up a fulfillment center somewhere in the Detroit metro area and we'll, driv- we'll drive to 200 houses today and and then they're going to get you on a route. You know they're going yep. to get you on a route. And I think one of the things they're po- potentially able to do is is move the perishable problem to you and me. Right? That's right. Say, That's right. Matt, you agreed to buy this gallon of milk and gallon of ice cream. You're going to buy it. Well, ice That's cream right. is perishable. But the milk where you say, I'm going to push this out. And if Matt agrees to buy it every week, it makes it a lot easier on them. They probably give you some discounts. That's right. I could see us getting to a route because a lot of us are working from home. It's not that hard. Yep. We've had a lot of time to think about what our consumables were, and it's going to be for the consumables, right? Your toilet papers, right. your hand soap, stuff of that nature. I think people still want to go out and buy their steak and, right. and, and fish or stuff like stuff of that nature. Maybe not, though. You'll be surprised. Right. I think I think you and I, you're still going to want to go out and say, hey, there's a farm market. I want to wander through the right. farm market with wife and kids. I think we want experiences. We want to leave our house sometime, right? And when I go out, I want that to be an experience. I don't consider a trip to the grocery store an experience. It's just something that has to be done, right? Exactly. So right. it's a task. I could see grocery grocery store footprints getting much smaller, and I could see them using fulfillment, maybe same locations. When when Amazon opens their stores, we know there'll be both fulfillment and returns, which is important for them, and it will be a, a store. Who knows what it's going to look like? Might, might sell their private branded, but they're coming. They call them department stores, but I think knowing Amazon, they're going to be very different than that. I did a podcast on this with uh, Rick Watson. It's interesting because when Amazon comes, you know they're going to bring something brand new where we're going to go, why didn't I think of that? <laughs> it's so true. It they is got, so true. They've got some monster algorithm over there that just says, here's another good idea. Kill it. That's right. <laughs> go do That's it, right. man. 
and using a bunch of data to make those decisions, right? The same thing also and they're going to get be doing. better data. And, that, and, and to wrap this piece up here, we saw with uh, Hotels.com and a million other travel apps, they said, hey, I'll get you the, I'll get you the best deal on, on a hotel room or a, rent, or a rental car. And then it, you noticed over the last decade or so, you see pushback from the hotels are saying, hey, if you really want the best price, you have to come to our app. Download our app, Matt. Don't do, go to Hotels.com. We'll get you a room here. But first come is over here. And if you want loyalty programs, you got to do it here. Right. Right. And so if you're a billion dollar and the billions and billions of dollars, uh, the Kroger's, the Meyer, they're going to want to own that experience. And so I could see there being a lot of third-party logistics companies serving groceries companies to deliver direct. And again, I think that's maybe a more efficient model for home delivery. It's not going to be personal shoppers. It's, I mean, I suspect they're not going away, but I think there's a better model, with this, which yeah. is routes and professional logistics companies that own warehouses or maybe not own warehouses more, more <laughs> likely but it's it's this is this is this is wild wild west <laughs> yeah and it's the wave of the future right i mean i think we're we're seeing it firsthand in action in a very accelerated fashion you know but you're right i mean i think the from if we can master specifically talking about the grocery store stuff right so you're not hitting john doe and jane smith that are geographically on opposite sides of the town right on one stop and two stop, right? I think that's going to add to get added efficiencies, which is going to enhance the customer experience. You know, uh, with your bigger billion dollar enterprises, I think it does make sense for them to align rather than trying to reinvent the wheel. Align with the three PLs, align with right. the, you know, a marketplace that has this capacity for warehousing, right? Align with right. the players who have already created this and tap into it because it, it's, yeah. it's, it's a daunting task to build that kind of stuff. Speaking of which, I think Target already bought shipped. So yes. wouldn't yeah, be surprised happening. by that either. Yep. I haven't said it lately, but I think they have like 700,000 personal shoppers. You wow. Know, think about that. I mean, and it's, they're what, less than 1% wow. penetration in the, what do we have, 7 million people doing this business? <laughs> like it's, no. It's and that's why I think there's limits to that. I think that. Not everybody's going to be a personal shopper in the country. We're going right. to move to routes. So yep. anyway, I'm going to summarize this and I want to get your final thoughts on it. So we talked about the the new world of warehousing and this being really the wild, wild west with my friend Matt Fain. And we talked about nano fulfillment, micro fulfillment. That's moving inventory closer to people. And again, I think that final mile is going to be electric. On number two, we talked about labor crisis. We, we're struggling to get people to go into those warehouses and uh, we got to make that a better job, just like we got to be better jobs for the truckers. Anyone working in a dock or warehouse is not always getting the best best uh, gig, so we got to make that better. Which closely related number three, which is we have to invest in technology and productivity tools to make that a better job. Also, we make more money when we're, we invest in <laughs> that right. technology. <laughs> Both, it's it's a virtuous cycle. Uh, number four is all these new business models that are adding so much value. The where to goes, the flex, the stored, yours, uh, pop capacity. There's, there's, they're out there, and 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 they're taking this this old industry and kind of uh, jump starting, <laughs> and and yeah. and it's really good for the warehousing companies because they get filled up, and I think it's great for the customers who all of a sudden have visibility into a nationwide network of of suppliers. Talked about just in time versus just in case, which is how much inventory you're going to hold. Big decision. In retrospect, we should have all had. Not all. A lot of you should have held more inventory. <laughs> right, for sure. But against it, it goes against everything that we were taught, right? Exactly. So last we talked about sustainability. We have to do a better job. All of the customers are buying because of it. Brands are demanding it. We are going to become that, and that includes warehouses. And then last but not least, we've talked about this, who owns the customer experience. And again, I think that's going to be increasingly important, and we're going to see we're going to see pushback against the the ships and of the world. I think you're going to see these these grocery stores are going to move to fulfillment centers. Some of them, mm -hmm. yep. say, yeah, you can come to our grocery store, or we'll do fulfillment for you, but we'll own that experience for you. <laughs> That's right. It won't be done through through somebody else's. 
right platform for or sure. Or if it is, they're just going to share the data. You kind of serve and you say, but we're not getting in the way of those relationships. You're not ever saying, you know, Matt's not popping in and saying, no, literally popping in and saying, hey, you have to go through me for everything. That that right. wouldn't your, your your customers wouldn't like that. So so it makes sense. We can, we're all going to have partners. There's nothing wrong with partners. I just nothing think it's a it. matter of who's owning that customer experience. And uh, again, we're seeing companies like Nike and Allbird saying, I don't want Amazon to manage that customer experience. I need to. That's right. That's right. Look at Abercrombie and Fitch that just acquired uh, Quiet Logistics, right? A 3PF. It's I, it's I had them on right? the podcast. And uh, yeah, they're a fantastic company. I had uh, the, the founder on the podcast and uh, good for them. So enough of my blather here, Matt. Why don't you give us some final thoughts on this topic? You know, I think... I think what we'll see over the next few years is things will start to stabilize. Technologies will be adopted by both shippers and suppliers, and we're going to start seeing these added efficiencies. What happens after stabilization? I don't know. I don't have that crystal ball to see, right? I don't think I couldn't have projected that a pandemic was going to knock us on top of the head, right? But I do think that our ecosystem, specifically in the warehousing environment, will be smarter, more intelligent, more efficient. And we will have identified all the gaps and the blind spots that we're seeing now. But it's just going to take some time. You know, all, all good things happen to those who wait. Right. And I think that we'll, we'll experience the good, the bad, and the ugly all in the next few years. And then right. when we emerge, we'll have a really, really good, solid new foundation to live off of. Yeah, you know, Ed, it's it's interesting what you just said. I totally agree. We have this, we have so much change happening. And I think in a lot of ways when, when there's all been a lot of change, like we've seen, we kind of think that that's the end. But there's always a competitive response. So, you know, the grocery store is a perfect example where you go, oh, yeah, nobody's going to go to the grocery store anymore because they're all going to have personal shoppers and door, you know, DoorDash right. and all this. But there's a competitive response. And, you know, we've seen it in past technology booms where you say, oh, my God, these are the leaders of the space. And then five years later, they're gone, <laughs> right? right? They either got acquired or the market moved away from them. So we're seeing so much. And again, we saw nothing, it seemed like, for many, many years in the space. I shouldn't say that. We didn't pay attention to it. I'm sure people were working in it, making progress. But the changes in this new world of warehousing is significant. Supply chain was the epitome of it's hard to teach an old dog new tricks. Right. <laughs> we we were doing what we did and we did it well and we were making do. Right. But but then when things change and there's challenges presented, we we, we figured out our blind spots and some of the vulnerabilities. So it's, it's up to us to influence the technology and continue to make this forward progress, but excited about the future of it. And, like, and it's it's very, very exciting to be in the in the supply chain industry right now. For sure. So before you go, Matt, tell us about Pop Capacity. Who's who's your sweet spot? Who do you serve and what problem do you solve in the marketplace? I mean, our customers are literally anybody looking for warehousing capacity or anybody who's showcasing their warehouse space in a traditional way, right? So, you know, I say that we have enhanced the way that shippers and suppliers connect. We're using AI to do it. We're taking key data points from projects. We're passing it through a marketplace and the outcome is the appropriate supplier, right? Not a a food grade opportunity going to a hazmat house, right? There's a lot right. more to it. So we're just streamlining that process and using data to make really good decisions. As far as, you know, you could, you guys, you can reach out to us at hello at popcapacity.com. I'll probably shoot myself in a foot for doing this. Or you can reach out direct at matt at popcapacity.com. What I'll do, what I'll do is whatever links you give me, Matt, I'll put in the show notes. I'll put a link to your LinkedIn profile so people can connect with you there. I'll also put a link to your website so people can reach out there, any links you give me. So you guys uh, got anything scheduled on the conference tour here? We don't have anything. Just do the the, the pandemic still kind of going on or trickling away, whatever, however you want to view it. We did the White Gla or the White Label Expo in Vegas a few months ago. It was a great show, but you know the volumes. I don't think there yet. I don't think there's not enough in people. We're we're doing another podcast coming up next week. Oh, who's that? It's called Geared Down. So it's going to be really talking about just general lay of the land, supply chain, and then trying to you know. How do we simplify some of the things? Like it doesn't have to be so complex all the time. Sometimes the simplest solutions will ultimately be the best solution. So, but you'll see a lot of stuff coming out. We've got some really cool strategic partnerships coming up with some logos and companies that uh, that were mentioned on this this podcast. But really cool strategics, and and we're we're growing like crazy and, and changing kind of the way people source and procure. So hey, you guys Google for warehouses. <laughs> 
we're smarter than Google for warehouses. So, but yeah, <laughs> well, that's so, what I mean. That's what I mean is that they don't know the business. They can't. So the, the keywords right. don't mean much to them. They mean, mean a lot anything. to you. That's right. That's right. <laughs> So yeah, stay tracked with There's a lot of cool things coming with Pop Capacity and I'm super excited to be in this space. Yeah. Well, Matt, I, I really appreciate taking the time. This is such a big topic. And again, I, who knows where it's going? I mean, I think, I suspect if we listen to this a year from now, we'll go, oh, I didn't ever see this coming or <laughs> I didn't realize that was going to happen. I mean, we'll that schedule makes sense. It. Yeah, all right. There you go. We'll do an <laughs> annual follow-up and see how much uh, truth we actually spoke into the environment. At some point, we'll be called, yeah, Matt and Joe are idiots. Listen, so listen to what we said <laughs> last year. That's already <laughs> happening on my end. So, <laughs> Well, you got kids, so it's just a matter of time. They'll tell you. You don't have to worry oh, about Oh, that's it. right. <laughs> that's, that's right. That's right. Matt, thank you so much. Joe, thank you for the opportunity. It was a pleasure and uh, look forward to catching up soon. Yep. And thank all of you for listening to my podcast. Your support is very much appreciated. Until next time, onward and upward. You've been listening to the Logistics of Logistics podcast, where we engage in conversation with experts in the logistics field. For more details, visit thelogisticsoflogistics.com or follow Joe Lynch on LinkedIn.